Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hi, I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Bay Curious. When you have a question-answering podcast, sometimes people will submit one that is, well, personal. This week, reporter Jessica Placek went out to meet our question asker. And does she know that you've asked me to do this? No. (laughs) I'm going to tell her. I'm not going to ask her permission. I met this week's question asker at her home. My name is Marcy Dunn-Ballard. And she has this friend she swims with, Jackie. Jackie is Japanese-American and has an uncle who fought in World War II. I can tell that my friend's uncle is very humble. And Marcy, she wants to know more. I'd very much like to hear the Japanese-American men who fought in World War II interviewed. Marcy wants to know more about her friend's uncle and the men who fought with him in the 442 Regimental Combat Team, because she's pretty sure they must have some remarkable stories to tell. After all, these were men labeled by the government as enemy aliens, but they still wanted to fight for America. The 442 team fought so fearlessly that it became the most decorated unit of its size in U.S. military history. None of us thought we were coming home alive from the war. So it was a very, I guess, the toughest part of my life. From inside internment camps, some 2,100 Japanese-American men signed up to fight in World War II. And for those who survived, their experience can still be painful to talk about. In a minute, we're going to meet two of the men from this unit. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. 
On December 7th, 1941, Japan, like its infamous Axis partners, struck first and declared war afterwards. Costly to our Navy was the loss of war vessels, airplanes and equipment, but more... The U.S. declared war on Germany, Italy and Japan, and young men like Lawson Sakai wanted to help the war effort. When I heard the news on the radio, we decided we'd go down to the Long Beach Naval Base and enlist. I met Sakai at his home in Morgan Hill, California. They said, wait a minute, you're Sakai, we can't take you. And I said, why not? I'm an American. They said, but uh, you're Japanese. I said, no, I'm an American. But they said, you are not 1A, you're now classified for C. That's the same as an enemy alien. Other Japanese Americans were enlisted in the army before the war started. Now they found themselves in a tough situation, like Marcy's friend's uncle, Shigeo Yokote. I met him in his retirement home in Roseville, just north of Sacramento. I'm 100 years old last December. When Yokote was 25, he was drafted into the army. It was the first time he ever left home his swimming holes, and one of his favorite pastimes, playing his trombone. My first training was, I guess, being a medic. How would you call a person that had to decide uh, whether to bring him into the aid station or leave him there to die? And uh, I used to think about it, and I said, gee whiz. But no one knew what would happen among this concentrated population if Japanese forces should try to invade our shores. Military authorities therefore determined that all of them, citizens and aliens alike, would have to move. What happened next is that the U.S. government forced over 110,000 Japanese Americans, most of them U.S. citizens, into 10 different internment camps. There, they were surrounded by barbed wire and patrolled by guards. Yukote's family was sent to the Tule Lake camp, and he learned about it while he was in training. So it was a very, I guess, the toughest part of my life. While Japanese Americans weren't allowed to join the military, those already in the army were handled in different ways. Yukote was pulled from going into combat to become an orderly on the army base. Well, anyway, I made the beds, I cleaned the rooms, uh, cleaned the showers. Many Japanese Americans were upset about what was going on. But for Lawson Sakai, he felt even more determined to defend his loyalty and the loyalty of other Japanese Americans. And the only answer was, we have to go fight for our country. Eventually, officials approved the creation of a segregated unit made up of Japanese American men. Many enlisted from Hawaii, where most Japanese Americans had remained free. But the U.S. government also asked for volunteers from within the internment camps on the mainland. Some guys balked at this. Why should they fight for a country that was treating them like prisoners? But remarkably, 2,100 young men inside the camps raised their hands to join the army and Yakote was transferred from his work cleaning toilets to this segregated 442 unit to begin training with the others. 
Only this time, his job would be much more dangerous. I would be in a combat outfit, machine gun squad. And that's what the first thing that the enemy does was have to get rid of the machine gun because that machine gun would decimate a whole outfit if they're not careful. Lawson Sakai was also finally allowed to enlist, but only in this all-Japanese-American unit. As his family and grandkids putter around us, he says he kind of did it for them. We felt that we were sacrificing our life for what we hoped would be the future of all the Japanese people that were in prison, that they would be able to get out and get their citizenship and, you know, remain loyal citizens. Did you still think about that when you were fighting? Were you still thinking about your parents, or was it more just like you were sucked up by the war? When you're in battle, you really can't think of anything but killing the enemy. They're trying to kill you. When I ask Sakai about the battles, he doesn't really want to talk about it. Mm. You know, um, I don't like to get into much detail. It's uh, pretty gory. Early on, members of the 442 got the nickname the Purple Heart Battalion because they fought so fearlessly and suffered such high losses. It was go all out. And the model, go for broke, is a gambling model. You know, shoot the works. They fought heroically across Europe, taking control of strategically important towns in France and aiding in the liberation of Rome. They broke almost impossible German defenses and discovered and freed prisoners of the Dachau concentration camp. They were regularly sent to the front and called off vacations early to fight in terrible battles. The battle to rescue what they called the Lost Battalion. It's, um, um, it was a very tough situation, and it was kind of a do-or-die. In that battle, there were about 800 casualties in the Japanese-American unit, all to rescue roughly 200 Texans. A lot of casualties. It was pretty tough because there were so many that were wounded or killed. You may wonder why the 442 were so often chosen for these die-hard battles. Some have said their superiors considered them expendable. But few question their heroism. It has not been forgotten. At reunions, survivors show up to give thanks. My name is Mike McKaig. My father was a medic in the Texas 36 Division in World War II. And without uh, the 442nd and their actions, they, uh, I never would have been born. My children wouldn't have been born. By the end of the war, the 442 Regimental Combat Team had earned over 18,000 awards, including 21 Medals of Honor and over 9,000 Purple Hearts, becoming the most decorated military unit of its size in U.S. history. Do you still think about it a lot? It, it, comes, it recurs. You know, you have dreams. And as for the man that got Marcy to ask this question, Shigeo Yokote, his war experience took a surprising turn. Strange things happen, you know. 
It was the day before he shipped out with the machine gun squad. So uh, it was the one fellow came out, he was a tech sergeant. And he asks Yakote. You played in uh, trombone. Yeah. So he brings out this trombone. So they stuck a piece of music in front of me, and I looked at that, and I thought, well, for goodness sakes, that's the same thing I played in high school. Instead of serving on the machine gun squad, Yakote was invited to be third trombone. And that role may have saved his life. When we go to these different uh, groups, the veterans get together, they'll say, what did you do? Oh, I was with the rifle outfit. Oh, I was with the 105 uh, field artillery. They finally come to me and say, what did you do in the war? Very quietly I tell them, I was in a band. Dead silence. They either were angry or happy for me. That was reporter Jessica Placek. Thank you to Marcy Dunn-Ballard for today's question. I learned a whole lot. To submit a question of your own, head to our website, baycurious.org. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Thanks for listening. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.